my dad was a firefighter. Uh, he was a firefighter for 30 years. And uh, every day he turned up to work in the same uniform over 30 years. Uh, one day, at the very end of his career, he was in the senior ranks of the fire service. And he sits down at his desk. It's 7.30 in the morning. He opens his calendar. And the first thing is appointment, 9.30, in a place called Llandrin Dodd Wells in Wales. Llandrin uh, Dodd Wells is around two hours from the place where he is currently sitting. He'd, uh, he'd missed the meeting memo. So he gets out of his desk and he, uh, he goes down to his car. He jumps in the car and thinks, my word, this is a meeting that is non-uniformed. So if I turn up in uniform, I'm going to look like a right uh, muppet. So he goes to Tesco and he picks up a shirt and a trousers off, the, off the, the, the rails and he goes to the fitting rooms, but the fitting rooms don't open till nine. So he grabs three sizes of shirt, three sizes of trousers and bundles them into the back of the car. He flies up the A470 making his way towards uh, Sandrine Dodwells and in Brecon he stops because he realises he's still got the uniform on that he didn't need on. So he gets into the back of a car back of the car in a lay-by, right? And Brecon lay-bys are not known for their, um, their kind of positive activities, right? So here he is, trousers down by his ankles, shirt off in the back of the car thinking, oh my word, I've just sped 90 miles an hour up the road and now I'm going to be arrested for public indecency. So he gets back in the front of the car and he drives up and at 9.27, hot, sweaty and feeling a bit disgusting, he arrives into the entrance hall where the meeting has taken place to a colleague of his who greets him saying, what are you doing here and why are you dressed like a pub singer? When he brought back the clothes he'd bought, it was a black shirt with pinstripes, pink and black reflective trousers. <laughs> My dad had actually asked for his colleague to go to the meeting on his behalf, but completely forgotten. Sometimes in life we have what can only be described as an epic fail. But is it possible that God might also be prone to failure? I was at a wedding uh, last Saturday, and someone asked me what I was speaking on today. And I said, I'm speaking on the times that God has failed me. You should have seen the horror on his face. He tried to hide it. His efforts were completely ineffectual. He said, oh, I don't really subscribe to that theology. And the conversation ended pretty quickly. But can I say, I wanted to call it this, because I think in doing so, we run head onto uh, an issue that at some point in our lives, most of us will feel. Most of us in our lives, if not at many points in our lives, will feel that God has failed us. There are points in my life where I feel that God has let me down or indeed let others down. When a bomb explodes in the street and kills innocent victims, we may very well feel that God has let them down. When a child dies of cancer, we, we very well may feel that God has let them down. When our relationships break up or, or our financial situation becomes perilously unstable, we may feel that God has let us down. That God who promised to prosper us and not to harm us, to give us a hope and, and not a future, may not have quite hit the mark. I'd argue that, that some of us at, at some point in our lives will feel that way. 
But like the gent at the wedding, we can so often go to that kind of, that kind of uh, crunch point where we just say, well, God has never let us down. God has never, ever let us down. But actually, in thinking about this, we need to address this question. We need to understand how theology interacts with our lives, because if we don't look how theology interacts with our lives, then, then otherwise theology is just words on a page. I don't know how many of you are parents in the room, but when we were growing up, myself and my brother were sometimes, how do you describe it? Less than angelic? I know you, looking at me, you're thinking, no, not a chance, not a chance, but I'd hate for you to be mistaken. There's the time that I decided to redecorate my bedroom with pseudocreme and felt tips. (laughs) If you tried to get that gear off the wall, you have a challenge on your hands. Or the time we're having dinner with my cousins and my auntie and uncle, and I've got two cousins called Harry and Ed. I'm about seven, my brother's about three, we're all chatting away happily, and my auntie pipes up from the corner, David, Dav, don't put that chip in Harry's ear, as we turn around to my brother trying to wedge a chip in poor Harry's ear. We were less than angelic. But I can remember on some occasions when we were aggrieved, we used to say what I now gather to be the most hurtful thing we could have said. We used to say to our parents, I hate you, I wish you weren't my mum or dad. And at the time, I remember feeling that to be true, that I wished that my parents had always gone out of their way to help us, the ones who'd taken us on holiday, the ones who'd stayed up when we were unwell, had come to a point where we said, I wish you were someone else. And this is a bit of a parallel with our, our passage in Hosea. There's been a big split. Despite that God, all God has done for his people, there's been this big split. People have walked away. They've gone into their own religions. They've gone to worship their, their own way. This is kind of Brexit on a big scale. As we heard last week, God says to Judah, I'll love you. But he says to Israel, sorry guys, I won't love you. It's like the four nations of the United Kingdom splitting up and God saying to Wales, I'll love you. But to everyone else, not a chance. Although that's quite a conceivable thing. in some senses they've gone off on their own but they still feel that God has failed them as Emily said last week Hosea one of the the minor prophets marries Gomer and the Bible describes her as an adulterous woman And, and it's a very strange start to a book by the way let me just tell you about a time where God told me to go and marry a woman I knew who was going to be unfaithful to me and uh and true to it Gomer was unfaithful But yeah, this isn't just a picture of Hosea's life, it's a picture of the state of the nations. It's a picture of of God's unfaithfulness to, of of the people's unfaithfulness, sorry, towards God. They've gone their own way. They run off like Gomer into things that are just not good for them. And I guess it's easy to forget that these passages aren't just imagery about the social and, and political landscape, but actually at the heart of it is a man. A man that's just trying to get by and live his life. A man who has emotions, who has has feelings, has struggles, has hopes and has dreams. And I wonder how many of us can relate to this position that Hosea finds himself in. Perhaps we once had hopes and dreams. Perhaps they've been crushed by, by the weight of the world. Perhaps we once had expectations of how our life might turn out, but some form for some reason or another, sorry, it just hasn't worked out. Maybe we've been hurt by unfaithfulness in our friends or our relationships. And we might judge that, that, that God has failed us. 
Our perspective is that the situation that we find ourselves in is one that could have been inevitable by human eyes, but actually could have been stopped or redeemed by God. But he didn't. And I think as people, we often think we've got quite a good perspective on the world. We believe that we're kind of great perceivers of the world, that on the whole we have sort of answers for the world and, you know, what is happening. But, but, but our perceptions can, can be so flawed. When I think I've got the world sussed, when I think I understand what it means to, to take the perspective of others, when I think I've mastered what it means to be an adult, I am brought back to earth. When I think I know what the world is like, what someone else is going through, it mobs my sense of perspective. I can tell you when this happens most often. I think I've got my life sussed. I think I know how to do my job well, how to sustain my friendships and relationships with my friends. I've got my life sorted. And then I try and fold a fitted sheet on my own. If anyone's mastered that, please come and speak to me at the end. It's one of the most traumatic experiences of my life. But in Hosea, we see that our perspective is so often in isolation to the big picture. We see that our explanations as for why things happen uh, come from our human experiences we, that we've learned in this small time on earth, that we have some form of authority to understand the world's complexities. But as we deepen our understanding and ultimately our faith in God, it boils down into believing that there's something greater than what we see. If we lived our lives purely based on what we see, then we, then we miss something of the mystery of faith. Hebrews 11 says this, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for, an assurance about what we do not see. Faith is a, is a confidence in God's plan, that God's plan is better and greater for us than what we know or see. It's allow our perspective, allowing our perspective to be shaped by the fact that God is in control no matter what. Confidence in faith will look different at times. Sometimes it will look like a nice bike ride in the countryside that's finished off by an ice cream or a dip in the lake. But sometimes it'll be holding onto a roller coaster, not knowing if the bar is strong enough to hold you down. And the perspective is something that Hosea constantly has to grab hold of. Ultimately, he's God's messenger to the people, but, but yet the situation he finds himself in is rough. We don't see the days that he probably doesn't want to get up, the days that he probably doesn't know who he can trust. He's got a wife going off and, and sleeping with other men, and uh, he's got three children at home. Who knows if they're actually his or not? He's watching his nation fall apart. They're worshiping idols. If we're talking about being in the thick of it, Hosea really is the man to look at. If we're talking about somebody who might struggle to gain perspective, Hosea is the man who understands. And these events are, are covering years of his life. When we read this small book in the Bible that I tell you many people will have skipped past, I've skipped past it too many times, we get the one hour and 15 screenplay adaptation. But yet Hosea's challenges go year after year after year. But yet Hosea holds firm to that, to that promise that he will not be abandoned by God, that he will not be left alone. I currently head up um, the UK's um, operations for uh, the Alpha course in prisons. And on Thursday, I went to um, an after Alpha event. So the guys had been on Alpha. And um, we went, and uh, it was my last prison visit before coming a police officer. I can assure you we didn't mention that inside. 
<laughs> but um, I got to interview everybody being on Alpha, and I just said three questions. What was life like before experiencing Jesus on Alpha? What was your experience of Jesus, and how has life changed? And the lads came up, and one by one, they shared their story with the group. And then a lad got up, and he, uh, he sat down, and he said, what was, I said, what was life like before? He said, I was lost. I was hopeless. I kept coming in and out of prison. 20 years, in and out, in and out. I said, what has Jesus taught you? What have you learned through experiencing Jesus? He said this. He said, my whole life, I've been willing for my situation to change. And now I know that though my situation might not change, that God will change me. And that is incredibly powerful because so often we pray, we pray for the situation to change. We pray for the situation that we face, the thing that is dragging us down to change. We cry out that it would change. But actually, how different, how how incredible is it that we turn and say, God, change me. In some senses, Hosea's situation didn't change for many, many years. And actually, Hosea didn't just just rest on his laurels. He didn't just say, well, I can't change the situation, so we may as well brace down and batten down the hatches and go. He said, no, God, in this time, change me. So often we expect God to change a situation, as the prisoner said. But actually, maybe it's more about how God changes life within us. When I was 17, I went on a project to Austria, and um, I went on this project, and it was about teaching uh, young people who were struggling with English to, to speak English, and uh, they were failing their exams in school, so uh, we went out there, we did some kind of fun outdoor activities, um, but one day, I'm about to go uh, to the toilet, right, and I dropped my trousers down to my ankles, right, and I sit on the toilet and notice in horror that there is a little black spot just inside of my leg, right by there. A little black spot right by there. Being 17, I was a bit embarrassed to let anybody else see what this was. And so I tried to remove it, and I did. Then again, at about three weeks later, it happened again on the top of my shoulder blade, right there, the little black dot returned. All joking aside, this little black dot messed with my head. It messed with my body. It made me anxious. It made me paranoid. It made me angry. One night I come home from the gym and I get in the shower and in the place that little black dot was, a big red ring. It was like I'd been shot. I was rushed to the doctors and they they told me that I had uh, Lyme disease a tropical illness that that affects the nervous system. And uh, they caught it after eight weeks. After 12 weeks, it can disappear. And uh, later on, it comes back as as heart failure or, or nervous system breakdown. But at this time, I was taught a lesson that I will never forget. My mum and dad had come to their wits end with me because I was being really, really hard work. I was unwell, but it was, it was a bit much for them to take. I'd just learned to drive and I had use of my mum's R-Reg Citroen Saxo. I was such a boy racer, or so I thought. <laughs> one, one day after what I can only describe as a major fracas with my dad, he marches up to my room, turns to me and he says, we've had enough. I'm going to restrict use of mum's car. Now, figuring that I had the upper hand here, 
I reached into my pocket, pulled out my keys, took them up to my eye line, jangled them, looked him in the eye and said, too bad you don't have the key. And in what it was like a scene from a comedy movie, my dad looked at me and he, and he didn't give me the reaction I'd expected. I thought he'd be horrified at my outburst and that was the reaction I'd wanted him to have. And he looked at me and went, oh, do you, son? Do you? And as I looked back down to my keys, the key was gone. <laughs> and I looked up to my dad and the key was in his hand. <laughs> no, you don't, son. No, you don't. That moment was a clear picture of what God is like. My dad knew what was best for me. My perspective was totally wrong. My perspective totally shifted. We laughed about it. We looked back at the journey we'd been on, reminded of the times where we'd shared fun and laughter. I saw the love that my parents had given me in the times where I'd given them hell. As we begin to look back at the journey that God has brought us on, we see his goodness. As I look back over the things that he has taken me through and brought me out the other side, I see that the love that he has for us. I begin to see the Father who has the best intentions. And friends, can I say, if you feel at the moment like God has abandoned you, then you are in good company. If you feel like God has let you down, then, then you're in great company. There'll be many who'll say, oh, wait, hang on a minute for a second. God never lets you down. And that's true. I don't believe he does. But sometimes I feel like he does. If at points we don't feel as though we're lost, then we may be deluding ourselves. Sometimes we'll feel like the favor of God that once rested upon us and something has happened and we feel like we're in a spiritual vacuum. We feel like life is suffocating us from the relationship we once had with God. There are times in my life, let me be really honest with you, there are times very recently where I feel as though God has completely left me. I turn up at church and I don't feel like I connect. I open my Bible and the words just don't seem to catch me. I try to worship and everyone else is lost in reckless abandon and I'm there singing a soulless and tuneless karaoke. I work for a Christian ministry, I'm meant to be an example, but sometimes I feel as though God has simply abandoned me. But to finish, in the passage we're reading today, it's a reminder of all God has done. It's a reminder of what God has done over the years, how he brought his people out of slavery in Egypt, how he has delivered them from their captors, how he's healed them and led them with kindness. In all this time, as the people look back on what God has done, they see the way God has been there. And they see their perspective change. As we look back at the journey that God has led us on, we begin to see his works, his goodness, his mercy, his love. And that God is still working for the people and the good of his people today because he has not abandoned us. If you want a quick resolution, I'm afraid Hosea is not the book for you. This is the long haul. This is the tunnel that sometimes doesn't seem to have a light at the end. This is the cloud where the silver lining seems to be absent. It's the book that tells us of God's heart for free will. Hosea, as much as he wants to, cannot stop Gomer from what she's doing. He cannot put a force field around her and, and keep her from moving away. And yet God, in his loving way, does not control us. He loves us and wants, to make his own wants us to make our own choices. So does God fail us? 
I don't think he does. In fact, I'm pretty sure he doesn't. Do I sometimes feel like he's failed me? Yeah, yes I do. But he is patient and he is kind. He does not envy nor boast. He's not proud. He doesn't dishonor others. He's not self-seeking, not easily angered and keeps no record of wrongs. He does not delight in evil but rejoices with truth. Always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Do I still question my faith? Yes. Are there still times when I feel like God has abandoned me? Yes. Do I, God know, do I know God's loved me and loves me? Yes. Do I know he wants the best for me? Yeah, I do. Is he good and works my good? Yes. Yes, he is. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that you do love us. Thank you so much that you have never failed us and that you won't start now. God, I pray for those in this room who are feeling that while others worship with reckless abandon, they are participating in a soulless karaoke. I pray that in their hearts, God, you would just refresh and renew. We pray for restoration, for love. And God, we just pray that in the times that are feeling dry and empty, God, may you just pour into us your living water. May in the times we feel we are captive, you release us from that captivity, whether that is in heart, mind, or situation. And God, may you be our strength. May you be our guide. God, I pray that you, you would bless those who we love and those who we struggle to love. In Jesus' name, amen.